The Sacramento Kings' reign in California officially began on this same day. However, they dropped their season opener 108 to 104 to the LA Clippers behind Derek Smith's 36 points. The LA Clippers said to the Sacramento Kings, there's only room enough for one relocated team in this state. (laughs) (laughs) I always like to say that Michael got to play with me for a year at North Carolina. (laughs) I think it really helped him. Spectacular player from the beginning. You can see right away Jordan was going to be a big-time scorer. And showed what an impact he was going to have on the league. This is NB86 celebrating the 30-year anniversary of Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls' 1986 NBA season. And now your hosts, Adam Ryan and Aaron Steen. Welcome to episode three of NB86. Aaron, thanks again for joining me, mate, and being part of the show as always. How are you today? Great to be back, mate. If you are a regular listener, welcome back. If you're new to the show, thanks for joining us. NBA News Notes and Quotes October 25th through November 8th, 1985. October 25, the NBA season kicked off. There was eight games played on opening day. We covered the Bulls' first and second games versus Cleveland and Detroit, respectively, in episode two of our series. Chicago's first game was versus Cleveland in front of 15,137 in Chicago Stadium. The Bulls won 116 to 115. And for Chicago, Orlando Warriors had a great game, 35 points and 12 boards. Jordan had 29 points, 6 rebounds, 3 assists and 3 steals. Juwan Oldham had 4 blocks, Charles Oakley 9 boards, Kyle Macy 13 assists, and Dave Corzine had a good game too, 11 points and 9 rebounds. For the Cavaliers, World B Free had 27 points, Roy Hinson 21, and John Bagley 14 points and 9 assists. A ripper game for the Bulls to start their 85-86 campaign off with an overtime game. Yes, indeed, mate. And speaking of overtime games, this was one of three games that went into OT on opening day. The Nets and the Trailblazers were the other two teams that had victories. Now, I noticed as well when researching for this episode, mate, Magic Johnson didn't actually play for the Lakers in their first two games due to a case of the shingles. His first game would be on October 31 after the Lakers started the season two and zip. Moving on, Larry Bird's incredible stat line here for a season opener. 21 points, 12 rebounds, 10 assists and 8 steals. So his two steals off a quadruple double were not enough as a Celtics season opener ended in an overtime loss to New Jersey Nets, formerly coached by the Bulls' new head man, Stan Elbeck. Former Laker assistant Dave Wall helped his team eke out the W113-109 to in overtime. And this was also Bill Walton's first regular season appearance as a member of the Celtics. He had four points in his debut. Now apparently New Jersey Nets coach had a while of a time in this game, mate. Larry with a, a decent stat line to start the 86 season off with. Isn't that remarkable? The Sacramento Kings' reign in California officially began on this same day. However, they dropped their season opener 108 to 104 to the LA Clippers behind Derek Smith's 36 points. The LA Clippers said to the Sacramento Kings, there's only room enough for one relocated team in this state. <laughs> <laughs> Alex English's season commenced very well. He scored 47 points for the Nuggets as they defeated the Warriors, 119-105, to and he just had a lazy 30 points in the second half. So fantastic stuff there from the future Hall of Famer, Alex English. October 26 saw Patrick Ewing, who was the number one pick in the 85 draft. It was his NBA debut as far as regular season goes at Madison Square Garden. However, the Knicks lost 99-89 to to Moses Malone and his Philadelphia 76ers. Moses outscored Ewing 35-18 to and grabbed 13 boards to Patrick's 6. 
Also on the 26th, Detroit visited Chicago and in front of 15,137 people. The Bulls held on for a 121-118 to victory. It was a classic game. Plenty of things happened throughout it, including some very unusual scenes, and we described those in depth back in Episode 2 of this series. Just quickly, though, some stats. Jordan had 33 points, 7 rebounds, 6 assists, 2 steals, and 3 blocks. Orlando Woolridge dropped 29 points, Sidney Green 13 points, and Dave Corzine 6 points and 10 rebounds. For Detroit, Isaiah Thomas had 36 points and 9 rebounds. Great effort. Bill Lambier and Vinny the Microwave Johnson had 16 points apiece. Put the lamb in the microwave. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> this is the second of, strangely enough, two games <laughs> that we ripped to shreds in NBA 86-2. A few days down the track, on the 29th of October, the Tribune reported that Bulls coach Stan Allback had been fined $1,250 and suspended for one game for his part in his dust-up with Chuck Daly, who got a $750 fine and also a one-game rest. Allback got the higher fine due to him being the first one to make contact with Daly after the two were pleading their case on the hard foul Bill A&B gave to Michael Jordan in the Bulls' 121-118 to win. Kevin McHale's 21 points helped Boston to a 105-100 win at Cleveland. Bird and Paris also chipped in with 20 points apiece and Boston's record was one up and one down. The Lakers' season opener at San Antonio was a two-overtime affair. The Lakers held on for a 121-116 to victory behind the captain, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and his 20 points. And speaking of two-overtime affairs, the LA Clippers' early season form continued with a 130-129 to home win over the Houston Rockets. And just quickly, mate, on the 27th of October in the Chicago Tribune, a great little piece called Matthews Takes His Shots. Wes Matthews thinks the Bulls goofed. Quote, they're looking like a bunch of fools right now, said Matthews, a starting guard last season who was released by the Bulls over the summer. Quote, I'm on a mission to teach them they were wrong and show people how stupid they were for letting me go. Now, this was whilst Wes was on his way to playing in the 86 All-Star game. Oh, no, that's right, he didn't. <laughs> in the San Antonio Spurs' last three preseason games, Matthews averaged 38 minutes, almost 22.5 points, 12 assists and 4 rebounds plus 3.3 steals a game, and shot 60%. If this article had been written in 2015, that last array of stats would have been concluded with a hashtag, but it's the preseason. The advent of social media. Why did the Bulls let him go? Quote from Jerry Krause, We were afraid he might be a disruptive influence on the team. Now, this is where he really starts to just tee off. <laughs> Bulls vice president of operations said, The coach didn't want him. I didn't want him. Nobody in the whole organization wanted him. We felt he wasn't a good shooter. When Stan played against him last year at New Jersey, he gave Wes the jumper all the time. He can talk all he wants. He still can't shoot. The percentages have proven through the years he still can't shoot the ball. So that was a fairly uh, damning couple of quotes there from a couple of key members of the Bulls hierarchy. Jerry really ate him alive, didn't he, on that one? Yeah, no crumbs though. Um, for what it's worth, Wild Wild Wes's 1986 season, he averaged just under 11 points and a little bit over six assists per game in 75 regular season contests. Now, on the 28th, mate, there was no games played, but there was plenty more news around the traps. The CBA were holding a contest that could get the winner a spot calling the CBA Game of the Week. The news notes and nonsense from the Tribune asked the question, so you've always dreamt of being Johnny Kerr or you always thought you could do a better job than John Mengelt? Here's your chance. Now, Adam, after hearing Mengelt's pairing with Marty Glickman last season, there would have been a lot of fans thinking they could do it better than John. 
Well, as soon as I heard the name Mengelt mentioned, I knew there was probably <laughs> something ready to uh, land quite shortly thereafter, so I kind of expected that. The odds and ends also reported that new Bulls acquisition, as opposed to old Bulls acquisition, George Gervin remarried his ex-wife Joyce. Not sure why I'm laughing. During the messy divorce settlement in which the Iceman coughed up $500,000 in cash, $125,000 in legal fees, a Jaguar, car that is, his <laughs> San Antonio home, half of his NBA licensing benefits, half of his apartments in Washington and Phoenix, and a third of his pension, Gervin summed it all up by saying, at least I got to keep my nickname. <laughs> that is awesome because I also read that. I hope that one of us will be bringing it up, so I'm glad that we did because it's fantastic. If you hadn't have said a car after a Jaguar, I was going to go there with a stupid joke as well because in a previous episode of this series, we talked about Carl Malone wanting to buy a Tiger Cub. His first uh, NBA contract. There's a bit of a theme here with some jungle wildlife. On the 29th of October in the Tribune, the Bulls who were listed on the ballot for the forthcoming February 9 All-Star Game at Dallas were Quinton Daly, Orlando Warriors, George Gervin, and Michael Jordan. And of course, we'll touch on that closer to when the All-Star Game would come around in February of 86. More games were happening on the 29th. Golden State Warriors leading scorer at 28 points per game during the 85 season. Purvis Short was a holdout as the Bulls were readying to take on the Warriors in Golden State. From what I read, he apparently walked out on preseason camp in early October and he was still negotiating his contract. The Warriors' number one pick, Chris Mullen, was also still unsigned at this stage. Both players' first games of the season would be November 6 versus Seattle, and I'll be touching on that a bit later as well because that was a great finish, particularly for the aforementioned Chris Mullen. Now, with Stan Albeck relegated to his hotel room due to the suspension from his fracas with Chuck Daly, Bulls assistant Murray Moccasin-Arnold, acting as head coach, along with Tex Winter, led Chicago to a 111-105 win in front of 11,210 in attendance in a game that would forever change Michael Jordan's career. Yeah, as you mentioned, assistants Tex Winter and Moccasin Arnold would be taking the reins for the Bulls' upcoming game at Golden State. Tex said he wasn't nervous at the prospect, to which he added, well, not at this point anyway. <laughs> Just going back to the four Chicago Bulls on the All-Star ballot, Quentin Daly would have had to be one of the first NBA players to be on the All-Star ballot whilst being in rehab at the same time. Quite possible, mate. Quite possible. Um MJ only played 18 minutes in this game. He scored 12 points, sitting out the second half with what was initially described as a jammed ankle. Now, days later, the diagnosis would be much worse. He was taken to a nearby hospital for some precautionary x-rays that didn't reveal the full extent of the damage. Now, for the Bulls, Orlando Woolridge stepped up admirably. 27 points, 5 rebounds and 5 assists. Gene Banks had 18 points. Dave Corzine, 16. Kyle Macy had a really good game, 12 points and 12 assists. And Jordan finished with two rebounds and two assists to go along with those 12 points. For Golden State, Sleepy Floyd dropped 32. Terry Teagle had 22. And Joe Barry Carroll, who I believe spent the previous season in Italy, had 16 points and 12 rebounds. The Bulls went to 3-0 and on the season, but this game would be the tipping point for the franchise's relatively short-term, at least, future. Minutia lovers unite. The Golden State Warriors then coach was future Bulls stalwart Johnny Bark who was a key assistant with the Bulls from 89 through 1994. And I think he might have had one season in 2003, 2004, where he rejoined the club. And it was this point of the season where we had the start of a very long run of reporting on one particular topic regarding the Bulls. Now, that topic was Michael Jordan's left foot. 
Bob Sakamoto wrote that it's a little early for Halloween, but the Bulls did a great job of masquerading against the Golden State Warriors. Arnold and Winter masqueraded as Allback and Orlando as Michael Jordan in the Bulls' 111-105 win. Jordan set out the second half of the game with a jammed ankle and Woolridge responded with 27 points and a commanding display down the stretch. The Bulls trailed by as much as 10 in the third term before baskets by Dave Corzine, Orlando and Sidney Green gave the Bulls an 84-82 lead early in the fourth. Sleepy Floyd's 3-3 pointers in the fourth kept Golden State close and Warriors coach and Bulls legend Johnny Bark said Sleepy got caught up in the emotion of the game. Gene Riverbanks filled in for MJ at shooting guard for the remainder of the game and scored 18 points. Riverbanks, you've done very well with that. On the same day, the Tribune reported that John Macbeth Paxson had signed his three-year deal with the Bulls. The Bulls roster now included ex-Spurs, including Paxson, Banks, Gervin, Corzine, and head coach Allback, to which Gene Banks responded, just call us the Chicago Spurs. <laughs> the Bulls paid the Spurs $200,000 to forego their right of first refusal to re-sign free agent John Paxson. Now, in a battle of the Wilkinses, Dominique, playing in his first game of the season after an alleged threat to sit out if his conduct wasn't looked at, scored 22 points and had 13 boards, simultaneously handing his brother Gerald and his New York team a 102-87 loss at Atlanta. The amount of guys who held out at the start of this season, I would have liked to have seen how skinny some of the team losses were to the start of the season because there was quite a few guys who didn't start on opening day. There were indeed, mate. Now, Manute Bowl scored the first six points of his pro career in Washington's 97-90 to win at Cleveland. In the 1986 season, Manute would have 17 scoreless games in the 82 total games that he played in, which includes playoffs. Still on October 30, in one of only two three-overtime games in the 85-86 season, New Jersey Nets at home outlasted Indiana 147-138. to Michael Ray Richardson led the Nets with 38 points, and Buck Williams had an absolute blinder, 20 points and 23 boards. Herb Williams top scored for Indiana with 28 points. Former podcast guest and friend of the show, Terrence Stansbury, scored 22, and that was his second highest single-game tally of his career. His career high was 25 points. In the team's previous matchup in their home-and-home series on October 26, Stansbury netted 21 points, which was good for his third-highest scoring game in the NBA. Hashtag shameless self-promotion in allairness.com slash 58 to hear my conversation with Terence Stansbury, which was a fantastic conversation. He's a great guy. Moving on, Boston won their home opener 117-106 over the Milwaukee Bucks. Kevin McHale had 25 points and Dennis Johnson had 24 as the Celtics improved to 2-1. and one. Speaking of former podcast guests, Ricky Pierce, episode 28, had 26 points for the Bucks. Don Nelson was ejected with about six minutes left in the game, for what it's worth. On the following day, October 31st, in the Chicago Tribune, Michael Jordan said that the chances of him playing the next game versus the Clippers was less than 50%, as he was dealing with what the Tribune described as two jammed bones in his foot. George Gervin was listed to start in the backcourt alongside Kyle Macy in LA in Jordan's absence. The Bulls were also helped by new acquisition John Macbeth Paxson, who said he questioned himself 15 to 20 times a day during his holdout before eventually signing with the Chicago Bulls. When you mentioned that there was less than 50% chance that he was going to play, there was only a 10% chance of that too, so that made it even more remote. Shamelessly stealing lines from the naked gun. Now, in a case of irony... 
if that's even the right use of the word. Chicago's Sports Vision Network aired a TV program entitled The Chicago Bulls, A Winning Breed, as the lead-in to the Chicago at Clippers game that same night, the team's first game without the injured Michael Jordan. In MJ's absence, the Bulls went 21-43 and in those 64 games missed. The Clippers won 120-112 to against the Chicago Bulls in front of a very lowly crowd of only 7,809. Marcus Johnson torched Chicago for 33 points. Former Celtic Cedric Maxwell had 15 points and 11 boards. And Franklin Edwards, a name that I had not heard of previously, had 13 points and 15 assists. For the Bulls, Orlando dropped to 28 points. Sid Green, George Gervin, Gene Banks and Dave Corzine all scored in double figures. This was Chicago's first loss. They went to 3-1 and one on the season. On the stage where he shone so brightly just the season before in a thrilling win over the LA Clippers, Michael Jordan was forced to sit on the sidelines in a grey suit on October 31st, 1985. The jammed ankle, as described by the Tribune, had MJ on the bench for the first time in his short NBA career. In response, his teammates showed great scoring spread in their first loss of the season with five players in double figures and had a 104-99 lead at one stage in the last quarter. The accompanying article, again, had Jordan hopeful that he could return soon, perhaps in their next game against Seattle. Almost strange, really, that Mark File and the other Bulls brass were saying that there's a possibility that Jordan could come back pretty soon. MJ's even saying it himself. And yet, within a few days, the worst of the news gets revealed and he sits out 64 games. Yeah, I'll elaborate on it shortly. Mm, Good stuff. On November the 1st, Bill Walton had 14 points and 8 rebounds and secured his Celtics their third win of the season, 109-105, to at home over the visiting Atlanta Hawks. Dominique did all he could to earn an Atlanta win. He lit up the garden with 40 points, 10 rebounds, 4 assists and 5 steals. Larry Legend dropped 25 points, 7 rebounds, and 5 assists. That's one of Dominique's best stat lines that I've ever seen. Yeah, what a fantastic effort, eh? Boston racked up their fourth straight victory with an 88-73 win at Washington on November the 2nd. Danny Ainge led the Celtics with 20 points. Kevin McHale had 18. And for the Bullets, former podcast guest Jeff Ruland top scored with 18 points in allairness.com slash 45. I don't mean these shameless... Well, I probably do mean the shameless self-promotion, but when these guys stand out and they've been a guest on the show, got to throw it in there. Every single opportunity you take. So, yeah, I think it's uh, very shameless. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I don't doubt that either. <laughs> Chicago were humbled 118-100 to at Seattle, dropping their second straight game without Jordan. 12,369 fans watched... That's a lot of fans. The building must have been very hot. Watched Tom Chambers score 23 points as his Supersonics put the balls to the sword. Al Wood, or actually did, score 22 points. Uh-huh. And number four pick in the 85 draft, the X-Man, Xavier McDaniel, chimed in with 15 points and 10 rebounds. For Chicago, Woolridge led the team with 26 points. Rookie Charles Oakley had his best game to date, notching 15 points and 10 rebounds. Despite the Sonics scoring their lowest total in a game, a 90-73 to loss at Denver in their previous game, they dumped the Bulls 118-100 to as Bulls starters Kyle Macy and Sidney Green both failed to score for Chicago. Seattle opened up a 47-24 to lead in the second term behind who Bob Sakamoto dubbed the Pacific Northwest's version of Larry Bird. Hmm otherwise known as Tom Chambers, who had 15 points, four rebounds, and seven assists in the first half. Mike Smirk even got a run in the third after the score had blown out to 80-49, to Seattle. Well, down 31, and in comes Schmreck. Hello, donkey. Yeah. <laughs>
before you even mentioned Tom Chambers' name, when I heard you say the Pacific Northwest version of Larry Bird, I knew immediately you'd be talking about Tom Chambers, one of my favourite players, definitely back during the 80s and into the 90s as well. Dallas's Mark Aguirre was on fire, scoring 42 points as his Mavericks had a 119-113 to win at home over the visiting Kings of Sacramento. Now, the Kings were up by 13 points as they entered the fourth quarter, but Derek Harper's 14 points and Aguirre's fantastic effort saw Dallas take home the chocolates. On November 3, the New York Knicks dropped their fifth straight game, 110-96 at Portland, to start their season 0-5. Kiki Vandaway led Portland with 21 points, and for the Knicks, Daryl the pedestrian Walker was ejected for bumping an official in the second quarter. Conversely, or nightly, Portland rocked to a very promising 4-1 start. It was the first meeting between rookie sensation Patrick Ewing and number two pick of the 84 draft, Sam Bowie, since they collided in the 84 NCAA Final Four. On the 4th of November, mate, there were no games. However, around this time was when the news broke, no pun intended, about Jordan's injury, which you're going to elaborate on now, mate. The news notes and nonsense of the Tribune reported that agent David Falk and Bulls GM Jerry Krause had met during the off-season to discuss ways Team Jordan and the Bulls could work together. Krause said in the previous season, there were a couple of Jordan's off-court ventures that clashed with Bulls-related events, and they cleared the air, Jordan, about opening the lines of communication to ensure a harmonious relationship. In other news, the Capitol Center, home of the Bullets in Washington, had a new catchphrase titled, Bowl-tending, <laughs> when Rookie Minute went a little bit too far when trying to block shots. It also reported that Minute's reach when he has his hands over his head, was a lowly 10 feet 4 inches. On November the 5th in Houston, Akeem Olajuwon exploded for 41 points and 18 rebounds as the Rockets took a 127-113 to decision over the informed Portland Trailblazers. John Lucas had 22 points and 14 assists. Kiki Vandeweghe had 28 points and 7 rebounds for the Trailblazers. Both teams were 4-2 and two on the season. The hopes that Michael Jordan would return soon were officially laid to rest as he was ruled out for six weeks with a broken foot. Jordan, who had never dealt with serious injuries up to this point, said he wanted to go off somewhere and hide and get better. The article by Bob Sakamoto wrote that the initial x-ray didn't show the fracture that the follow-up CAT scan eventually revealed. Jordan's teammates expressed their shock and support of Jordan in the article as the Bulls were due to play 16 of their next 20 games on the road before 13 or 15 at Chicago Stadium. The three guys Coach Allbeck mentioned who were in the running to replace MJ, who was officially placed on the injured list, were Ron Brewer, Cedric Tony, and Michael, don't call me Bolton Holton. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, tremendous, tremendous. The Lakers received their 85 NBA championship rings and they unveiled their title banner before losing 129-111 to at home to Cleveland. The Cavs' Edgar Jones, playing in the last of his six NBA seasons, had 24 points and 12 rebounds. So that's a tremendous stat line. Big win by the Cavs in LA, wasn't it? It is. 18-point victory over the champs on the night they get their championship rings and unveil the banner. A great job by the Cavs. By George, Carl did a great job. Gee, mate, you're on fire. On November 6, at the Pontiac Silverdome in Detroit, in front of 12,156 fans, Chicago chalked up another loss, 122-105, to in a rematch of October 26's hotly contested game at the stadium. The Bulls led by 12 after three quarters before totally capitulating for a 17-point defeat. 
The Pistons were led by Isaiah Thomas with 23 points and 16 assists. Kelly Chapuka and John Long each scored 22 points. Meanwhile, for the Bulls, a Herculean-like 37-point night from Orlando Woolridge was not enough. Sid Green was admirable with 18 points and 13 rebounds, but not too many others contributed on this particular night. In the rematch against the Pistons, Bob Sakamoto wrote, Don't be surprised if Coach Albeck shows up with protective headgear on to deal with the hostile crowd at Pontiac Silverdome. One opposing head coach had said Albeck had upset Daly by messing up the suit of the well-dressed head coach <laughs> for the Pistons. Even a fashionista back in 1985-86. Very snappy. We mentioned that Rick Mahorn had copped an elbow in the mouth in the previous matchup against Chicago that actually loosened four front teeth. Rick hadn't told any of his teammates who the culprit was, and when asked who was going to pay for it in this game, Mahorn answered, Chicago. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Did not bode well for any of the players who actually took to the court. After the hostile Pistons crowd, Orbeck has to deal with a New Jersey crowd and a team that he left on bad terms. A couple of Nets players had taken shots at Stan since he left, including Michael Ray Richardson, who said the Nets didn't miss him, and Mike O'Coran, who said they were actually learning something at practice this season. (laughs) Couple of cheap shots there. Mike O'Coran wanted to be doing a bit more scoring. Bob Sakamoto wrote that the Bulls looked like a boxer taking a dive after being outscored 47-18 to in the fourth quarter. In the 122-105 loss, the Bulls' third straight, Chuck Daly and Stan Olbeck met prior to the game and had a laugh about the events of 11 days prior, the shoving match that got both ejected from the game and suspended. The Bulls controlled the game through three quarters behind Orlando's 30 points in the first three terms, but the final 12 minutes were a dirty dozen if ever there was one, wrote Bob. I can't take credit for this man's wordsmithing, if that's even a word. Or Sam Smithing, because he's also doing some of these articles as well. He's a genius. Incredible with some of their wordplay. Continues on throughout all these editions of the Tribune we've been lucky enough to access to help us with the entire backbone of the series. Line by line. (laughs) At one point, Isaiah scored or assisted on eight consecutive plays as he took over the last term with 16 points and eight assists in the fourth quarter alone. Now, that's a stat line most players would be happy with after four quarters. This match with 12 consecutive field goals by the Pistons led to the team record for points in a quarter. On this day, the odds and ends reported that former Bull, Aubrey Sherrod Mustaf, had signed with the Kansas City Sizzlers of the Continental Basketball Association. Now, in his first pro game, Chris Mullen hit a 13-foot clutch jumper with 19 seconds left at home to cement his team's victory 105-101 to against the Supersonics of Seattle. Mully had 15 points for the game, including eight in the deciding fourth quarter. So that's a great effort in his first pro contest. A great career debut for Mully Grubbs. On November the 7th, before 10,149 fans at New Jersey's Brendan Byrne Arena, the Nets defeated Chicago 106-97. It was the Bulls' fourth straight loss, all without the injured Michael Jordan. Warridge top scored for Chicago again. It was the fifth consecutive game, and he had 25 points. Kyle Macy had 19 points, and Dave Corzine 17. Oak had 11 points and 9 boards, and for the Nets... Buck Williams contributed 23 points and 21 rebounds. So he was in some fine early season form. In East Rutherford, rookie Charles Oakley got to go up against his idol, Charles Linwood Williams, and finished the game with 11 points and 9 rebounds in 18 minutes. With Buck having 23 and 21 in 39 minutes of play, 
Oakley left Williams impressed in saying that Oak works harder than any of the young forwards in the game. A Woolridge missed dunk attempt deflated a potential Bulls comeback after New Jersey went into the fourth with a 10-point lead, 85-75. to Kyle Macy broke a Brendan Byrne Arena record by hitting four threes in the game. The Tribune reported that the Bulls were seriously looking at free agent guard Norm Nixon, whose salary demands were going to be the major hurdle in the deal being made. Moving Kyle Macy or John Paxson would have to take place to clear the roster spot and money to seriously consider adding all-star Nixon. On November the 8th, the Lakers disposed of Denver, the NBA's lone unbeaten team, 128-99 in California. Matty Johnson, living up to his nickname, had 19 points, 10 rebounds and 12 assists. LA's top scorer was Byron Scott, who had 29 points, even though he sat out the last quarter. And Boston were also comfortable winners, 125-101 to at home. They improved their record to 5-1 and one after losing the season opener to New Jersey. Robert the Chief Parrish led Boston with 25 points and 10 rebounds. Legend had 24 points, 6 rebounds and 10 assists. For the Suns, they were led by Larry Nance's 21 points and 9 rebounds. Rookie Georgi Glauchkov, a household name in his native Bulgaria, if he was in his own house, had 8 points and a career high of 11 rebounds. This was Georgie's only NBA season. Hey there, Georgie boy. What a name, eh? Georgie Glauchkov. Yeah, good stuff. Let's wrap things up, mate, with the player of the week. And for the, the week ending November 3, it was Derek Smith of the LA Clippers, who averaged 25 points, 4 rebounds, and 1.2 blocks a game as the Clippers went 5-0 and to start the season. Absolutely fantastic start. Smith only played 11 games with the Clippers in the whole season. He won the first player of the week. So he was traded to Sacramento in August of 86, but I'm not sure if he got injured for most of the season or he turned some people off by doing or saying something. I don't know. We'll try and clarify why he only played 11 games, given he won the Player of the Week in his first week of the season. So November 6th, mate, the LA Times actually had an article called, Sure, he's unknown, but it doesn't mean he's not rock solid. And it begins with, The only thing wrong with Derek Smith, Michael Jordan says, is that nobody knows about him. Nobody knows what a super basketball player is. Nobody knows that, quote, Derek Smith is the most underrated player in the NBA. So Jordan speaking very highly of Derek Smith. Both of his encounters with Derek Smith in his rookie season in 85, Derek Smith had absolute rippers in both of them. He sure did. He obviously left an impression. One of his nicknames was Rock, so good play on words there in the headline. Doesn't mean he's not rock solid, but not taking for granted. All right, let's go through the player highs for this particular period of time. Alex English had 47 points for the Nuggets at Golden State on the 25th of October. In terms of rebounds, the aforementioned Buck Williams had 23 for the New Jersey Nets versus Indiana on the 30th of October, and Isaiah Thomas had 16 assists against the Chicago Bulls on the 6th of November. To wrap things up, the NBA standings through November 8, the division leaders were in the Atlantic, the Celtics were off to a 5-1 and one start. In the Central, the Bucks and Pistons were tied at 6-2. and two. For the Midwest, the Nuggets were 6-1 and one and off to an absolute flyer. And in the Pacific, same deal with the Lakers, 6-1. and one. Chicago were 3-4 and four in this time. Three wins when Michael Jordan played, then four straight losses. And there were two winless teams. Rookie Patrick Ewing and his New York Knicks were 0-7. Ouch. And the Suns weren't much better. 0-6 to begin the 85-86 campaign. So, mate, that brings us to the end of this third episode of NB86. Anything you'd like to add there, mate, before we move on? It's an unconfirmed report that... Georgie Glouchkov's nickname is actually Giddy Up. 
Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show and share my web address with your friends and colleagues in allairness.com. Check out the podcast archive for plenty more episodes with high-profile guests. Follow me on Twitter at inallairness. Please add your like to the show's social hub, facebook.com slash inallairness. Join me next time for another edition of the show. Alex Inglis scored the first 47... He didn't score the first 47 points. What am I talking about? Let's start again. Alex Inglis' season commenced on a great note. He scored 47 points for the Warriors as the Denver Nuggets... For the Warriors. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, NB86, where mistakes happen. Um, We tore out a new one, mate. (laughs) That won't make it. (laughs) John Sakamoto wrote that. John or Bob? I think you called him John. (laughs) Yeah, I did. (laughs) His brother got a gig too. I'm like Ron Burgundy. <laughs>